Welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast with me, Sean Anderson, the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media. Um, delighted to be coming every Thursday live on LinkedIn at 8 a.m. UK time, 7 p.m. Uh, Australian Eastern time with my partner in crime, my co-host, Pete Watson. Pete, you, you swapped the specs this week. You, you managed to get them in. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I watched the other one back last week and these make me look far more intelligent. So that's it's... It's the only option, really, isn't it? And a lot younger, Pete. <laughs> In that case, they'll be on every week. Right. Well, I, I was going to say tag team. I've got to wear mine next week, so you've uh, you got away with it. You got away with it. And uh, I think we're both very excited today. We're we're, we're really excited to be joined by uh, Paul Hallam, who's the executive director and founder of Six Degrees Executive. Um, I'll let Paul. Um, tell us a bit more, but um, a very well-known organisation, headquartered in Victoria, Australia, um, and someone who I've worked with uh, closely, and I know Pete has for a very long time. So um, very feeling very privileged. Paul, welcome on the show. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Pete. Good to be here, and uh, good to be here out of uh, isolation and lockdown, um, which is uh, what are we two or three weeks into it, and uh, you know the sun is shining in Victoria, and, and things are starting to turn around. So it's yeah. really good. Absolutely. You say that. You say that as I'm looking out the window. I mean, it's absolutely horrendous rain. It's cold. My dog's looking out the window right now, thinking I'm not going out. He's just he, he took one look this morning. He's like, nah. So um, we'll get into your weather, but I'm uh, I'm a little bit jealous. Um, Paul, for those that don't know you, can you just do us a favor and give us a, a little overview of who you are and, and and a little bit about your business as well? Absolutely. Um, so I've been in the recruitment industry for about 22, 23 years. I had eight years at Michael Page uh, before I took the dive uh, and set up on my own with uh, two business partners that uh, fast forward 17 years are still my business partners, wow. which uh, is a, an accomplishment and achievement in itself. It is. Um, but we have uh, created Six Degrees, which uh, is one of the leading executive recruitment businesses here in Australia. Um, we have offices in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane, mm -hmm. um, recruiting across um, <laughs> all major executive disciplines, uh, bar HR, interestingly, uh, and we are very focused on the FMCG, um, consumer goods, retail uh, and B2B sectors. Um, right. We've got, a, got about, we had, a, we were uh, 90 people, um, we're uh, down to about 80, which we'll talk about a little later. Um, and, uh, you know, business uh, for us is, is going okay. Um, you know, there aren't many businesses in, in the recruitment industry right now that can say they're hitting the lights out, but uh, business is going really well. We're, we're okay. Yeah, well, I think... I think Paul, 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 can I just say, it's, it's, it's nice to hear you say that business is, is going okay and to use that word to describe it because uh there are still so many business owners who are claiming things are going amazingly well and yep. uh and you hear it and you take it with a pinch of salt and then you move on so it's it's nice to hear that you're uh using the the, the correct descriptive for what is actually happening behind those those four walls i think it depends yeah, on the lens interesting, interestingly peter i got pulled up by one of our people in sydney when i was you know um, saying things about how business was, uh, and she pulled me up, and she said, and she came from a, another recruiter and joined during COVID, and was surprised to to find that she still had a job during COVID. Uh, and she pulled me up, and rightly so, where I was having a, a sort of bitch and moan about how things were in comparison to last year, uh, and in comparison to last year, we were considerably down, but. She you know, made me realise that uh, we are in pretty unique times, the most unique times I've seen in the recruitment industry in my 22, 23 years. And mm. compared to our industry, uh, and we are doing very well. But um, yeah. you know, maybe one of the reasons for Six Degrees' success is that we, you know, we are always striving for more and always striving for better. Mm. Thanks, for you. Thanks for that intro, Paul, because I, mean, I, I know you semi-well and you know, even just what you've said are the things I didn't know, and and you, you you're making me think now of of things I want to I want to explore. Um, but but what you mentioned about being okay in terms of business, I remember one one common trend from you. We we worked together through the academy in the in the height of the Australian lockdown. Was you were very you were almost surprised how well your business was holding up. I remember you, every week we'd say like, tell us about a positive this week, and you would be like. Regard what whatever's going on, the business is holding up. Like you, 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 you kind of looked at. You look genuinely quite surprised. But can you tell us a bit more about that feeling? You, yeah, you I, I, there's a couple of things. 
One, one is there is an artificial element to, to how well the business is doing. Our government uh, has introduced a thing called JobKeeper. Um, so they pay for about one, one third of our salaries. Uh, and so even though business is, is down by about 30%, when you um, put to the bottom line JobKeeper, it actually makes our profit look really, really good. Um, mm. So that that's one 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 thing that is is an artificial thing, and that and we come off that uh, likely to come off that in March. It may be earlier. Um, the second part to our business is that we are very very strong in FMCG. I don't think there's fast moving consumer goods, uh, and the one thing that is doing one industry yeah. is that's doing really well at the moment is FMCG. So that, that has been a, a really big blessing in disguise because people still need to eat, people still need to drink and, and wash their hair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've I, I, I I, I don't, I've not washed my hair today. It just, I, I just woke up like this. Um, <laughs> as, as I said to you, as I said to you, Sean, it's looking good. <laughs> um, okay, that, that makes sense. I do think the, the sector you're in, of course, makes a, a huge difference, right? Um, one of the things we spoke about, Pete, was your... Lack of confidence in the sector you were in, wasn't it, at the beginning? You were like, fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm in a sector, wreck to wreck, where it was almost a race to get rid of as, as many people as possible, not not hire as many people as possible. But but like like anything, um, you know, water find its own level, right? Once, once we got through the initial shock and panic and everybody understood what we were actually dealing with and they worked out how to deal with it, people started hiring again. Mm. Yeah, man, placement into six degrees. Um, and, and if you could find the right people, people we'd, we'd hire more. Yeah, in, yeah. In certain areas. Um, so there's yeah. there's still opportunity. Um, what well, what I would say is, um, I, I could not believe how uh, how quickly recruitment business. I did a couple of market surveys and how quickly the market in general turned around and said, Do "You know what? We're we're not feeling as much pain as we expected." And we are doing better than expected. And that wasn't just FMCG, supply chain procurement. Uh, so many markets held up really well, particularly technology. Um, but across across the board, businesses, the recruitment industry said, Do you know what? We're actually not doing that bad. It's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. I think that you ha we have to look at the fact that the government schemes that were put in place, you know, were unprecedented. That you know, if it was just a, a financial downturn, there wouldn't have been the level of support there for, for organizations like left to right, um, which has been a saving grace. We, I think the, the true sign is going to be the future when we've got to pay all this money back. Um, and, you know, that, that's... Is it, that, which is probably our kids' problem, not ours. Yeah, potentially, potentially. What One thing that I've, I've just... I'm thinking about in my head in the background, not, not unplanned, Paul, is what was, your, what was your actual role like after being in the business for 20-plus years and in the industry, sorry, for 20-plus years, you know, you've... I know you, you, you're not the CEO anymore. You're the founder and, and executive director. So pre-COVID, what, what, what was your role in the business? How did you spend yeah. your day? And it's a, a really good point, Sean, and I think it's important to say you know, what we discussed today um, has uh, been driven by our CEO, Susie McInerney, um, mm -hmm. who has done an incredible job through, through this time. And, um, you know, of course, all of us got together once COVID hit um, to make decisions and share, share ideas, um, but Susie has led this beautifully. Um, and, you know, I was CEO, um, you know, February last year and handed over to Susie. Um, you know, she might say fast forward 18 months, boys and chalice. Um, wow. But handed over to Susie, and Susie's done a, a, an incredible job of, of, of uh, shaping the business in, in her own way. Um, and once, you know, my, my plan was to move out of the business, not leave the business, but work more work on the business rather than in the business. Uh, and then, um, you know, Susie and I obviously had agreed to have a sort of handover period. Um, New Year come, came this year, uh, and my role was to be working on, um, you know, myself and my family, giving more time to them. Um, and I have a, a number of other business interests that I wanted to give time to. Uh, as well as some philanthropic uh, endeavours that are, are close to my heart. So that was my intention at the beginning of this year. Uh, and then can you remember? March, can, you remember the, think... can you remember going into 2020? I mean, I, I actually wrote some goals down going into 2020. 2020, yeah, it's not 2021, yeah. Um, and a lot of them I have actually achieved. There's a few I haven't. Like, I, I remember writing down I wanted to travel once a quarter. Like, I, I felt like the last couple of years I'd lost, because the business was so new, 
you know, previous to Hoxhill, traveling was a real big thing for me. Like, even if it was just a weekend away. Um, so I said I wanted to do that once a quarter this year. Obviously, that that didn't happen. Um, well, you had four weeks in Ibiza while Ibiza while five. Uh, five weeks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so I made, made up for it. I made up for it. Yeah, sure. Um, but but there was, you know, did you going into this year? Tell us a bit more about that. Like, what what were your aspirations? And yeah, like. What was the why was the motivation to step back and give someone else um, the, the the opportunity to run the business? Um, I think a number of reasons. One, uh, you know, I've been uh, 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 in six degrees for sixteen years. Mm. Uh, I turned fifty last year, um, and similar to yourself, I'm I'm a very big goal setter, um, and I also believe in in reinvention. And mm. uh, you know, you only grow if you reinvent. So. Yeah. Um, you know, Susie, uh, we, we ran a process and uh, Susie was the standout candidate um, and, you know, there was a, a transition. Um, but my, my way of thinking was, you know, I, and I am so passionate and I love recruitment, so I still wanted to be involved. Uh, and, you know, my, my focus was going to be more around growth uh, and the growth areas of Six Degrees and looking at M&A, um, looking at other areas that we can move into. Uh, so that was very much our focus. Uh, and, you know, now that um, uh, COVID hit, um, you know, the growth area that I focused on was our placement and career services, um, because that was something um, that I saw a huge opportunity uh, as people were being displaced or, or stood down. Uh, and, you know, we had um, reasonable success in, in that area and continue to do so. Uh, and, you know, as we look at the business, we, we look at all aspects of what we are going to focus on moving forward. And, and you wow. know, I'm hoping, you know, as you said, goals, my, my professional goals uh, this year, um, I just sort of put those on hold and I'll just transfer them to 2021 and, and pick it up and do it again. That's Paul, sorry, 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 Sean. Paul, can I ask, the, 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 the situation was quite unique in the sense that Susie had taken on this, 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 the CEO role, the big role, the role that you'd sat in for many years, and then COVID hit. It's a bit like Barack Obama when he inherited the GFC. Um, was there part of you that thought, I wish I was still in the CEO role? You know, I, I, I need to be sailing this ship myself. Or was the part of you that was absolutely delighted that the weight rested on so Susie's shoulders? Um. That's a really good question, um, Pete. Um, so I, uh, I have utmost faith in Susie. Susie, um, and to her credit, um, like all great leaders, doesn't think she knows everything. So she, no. um, you know, more than ever sought people's counsel, our chairman's counsel, um, mm. my counsel, and my business partner's counsel, uh, and external counsel, because uh, no one had ever been through a, a global pandemic and no one had the answers. And uh, you know, I, I spoke to Susie before we did this tonight and I said, you know, what are some of the things we you know, and we'll talk about how we approached it, but uh, what are the, some of the things that we could have done differently or improved or would have, with hindsight, would have done better? Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, it was one of those times where we were, you know, we were all said, we're all in this together and uh, we have each other's backs. It was a extremely stressful time. Uh, but once we made the tough decisions and, you know, one of the things that I've learned through 22 years in recruitment when things are, are going bad is, um, and, you know, Susie's number one focus was people, people, people. Uh, and, you know, once we had uh, got everyone at home and, you know, we were one of the first organisations, not first recruitment companies, but first organisations to send people home. Uh, luckily, you know, uh, Susie had just invested in huge IT infrastructure that enabled people to work remotely. Um, we signed up to Zoom and very quickly she deployed everyone, got everyone safe and everyone working at home. And then once we sorted out all people issues, the one thing um, that I have learned over the years is go hard and go early. And we made some pretty tough decisions, um, decisions that Six Degrees had never made before, which was making people redundant. Uh, and we made about 10 people redundant. Luckily, we bought some of those back on JobKeeper. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, we, we cut all costs out of the business. Um, refer, uh, um, you know, looked at uh, our forecasts and our revenue and budgeting. Um, most importantly, looked at our or our cost line and wherever we could get rid of a cost that was discretionary or a luxury, um, we did that. Uh, and uh, you know, as you said, Pete, um, fast forward, what are we at? Eight months. 
Um, yeah, we were in much better position than we'd forecast because we did think the world was caving in. Uh, and, you know, we had to do it twice in Victoria. Um, and the second lockdown was a lot harsher on us um, than the first. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was through really good management and leadership early on um, that we were able to come out where we have been. Um, How I will also, I'll also say I don't think it's over. No, no, for sure. Just... Going back on that, those decisions you made, how did did you get involved in the communication strategy, Paul, or was it you sit you, you were like like main point of contact for Susie to make sure she oh, had? No, no, it was definitely a team effort. Uh, right. And as far as the communication strategy, um, Susie worked very well with our head of people and culture, Alexandra Matthews. Uh, and they did a really good job of the communication. And uh, you know, I'm sure you'll ask me, you know, what, what are the really important things or insights I can give uh, recruitment leaders in the UK uh, are going through this? Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, one of them is around the communication and, and making sure that you over-communicate. Um, you know, I just don't think you can... And, it, you know, with everyone being at home, it makes it difficult... Um, but at the same time, it does make it easy as well because there's no excuse not to turn up to your nine o'clock Monday, nine o'clock Monday town halls that we do or yeah. the one-on-ones with people. So the the communication, Susie, is is definitely one of her strengths, uh, and she definitely owned that and did that really well. Love it. Well, one final question on the whole decision to let people go, and it's kind of aimed at both of you, right? So, I found this really interesting. I don't know, like a battle going on between Rectorex, especially the small Rectorex and, and recruitment owners in that first week of lockdown. Because, and I'm talking about the UK more than Australia, but I'm sure you'll have an opinion. And there was this word knee-jerk reaction that a lot of Rectorex kept going on about. Like, I can't believe the knee-jerk reaction from some recruitment businesses in our country. Like, if this is how you tra- treat your people, this will never be forgotten. There was loads of these comments coming out. And I, I was quite ashamed by it. And I, I kind of felt like, it's clever because you're going to get the candidate community to buy into what you're saying. You know? <laughs> you're attracting the talent that you probably need to, to make your money in the next few months, but you're fucking alienating your potential clients in the future. I mean, I, I, I was like, I didn't have a business as big as you, but even having 15 people, I made two people redundant and that absolutely like rocked my core. I hated it. Like I felt sick. The thought of having to do that with more people, like, that is not an easy task. Like that, no one does that on Perth. No one does that. Her, her, absolutely horrendous, Sean. And uh, you know, you know, we, we talk about you know looking after our people, and that's their initially their physical well-being, but also their their, their emotional well-being. Mm. Uh, and you know, it, it, our culture is our DNA at six degrees. It is the thing that sets us apart. And you know, uh, it, it's one when you uh, make people redundant, which in in six or seventeen years we've never ever done before. Um, that affects your DNA. Of course. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I go back to GFC when we didn't make anyone redundant and, and my two business partners at the time, we had a, a, a belief that we weren't going to make people redundant during that time. Uh, and, you know, we were close to saying it publicly. Uh, and the counsel that I have was never ever say that because sometimes it's better to make people redundant than the whole business fold and everyone's livelihoods fold. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't believe there's any organisation or any any leader that likes letting people go. And uh, you know, I and we lost a lot of sleep over it, and you know, still mm-hmm. sits you know uncomfortably with me. Um, but you know, we did it in the right way. We treated people and looked after them financially, but. You know, when we did make, let people go, it didn't end there. You know, we, we had a, a program to keep in contact with the people we let go. We found employment for some of the people that we, we, we let go. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I would say in the main, everyone would say, though, you know, we handled it really, really well. What do you yeah, I, saw, I, I, I saw the, the opposite to, to knee-jerk reactions um, across the industry, industry-wide. What blew me away was the lengths that, not all, um, the lengths that most recruitment businesses went to to do everything that they could to, to keep their people. And they pulled levers left, right and center. And yes, of course they cut costs and you know things got tweaked all over the place. But the objective of that was to keep people in jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by and large, where people could be kept in jobs, recruiters could be kept in jobs, they were kept in jobs. It was literally uh, that week before the furlough scheme in our country was announced. So we had 
there was the Friday to Friday where we went into lockdown, I think, or, or people were shutting like mad panicking. And then the following Friday, it was announced just before we finished the week. And there was people that announced their, their redundancies on LinkedIn. Like, I'm really sorry, we've had to let go of 20 people today, but who then, you know, rehired those people through the furlough scheme. And it was just, a, a, it was a few days of madness. And I, I just remember thinking, I, I get what some people are doing, but you, you can't tarnish the industry with a brush. You can't, I just said, let's be empathetic because we have no idea what's going on inside these companies right now. We, we don't know. Like you can say they've let 10 people go. Ooh, harsh. They, they mustn't, they can't manage their finances. It's like, how the fuck do you know that? You haven't got a clue. You know? It's interesting you talk about the industry. I, I um, and you know, obviously I've known Pete a long time and Pete's the, the rec to rec. I have the most utmost respect for in our industry. And uh, you and I got to meet through this, Sean, and it was uh, through the Hoxo Academy and, and what would we have 15 other recruiters. I've never seen recruiters bind together more uh, and, you know, show vulnerability and support one another. You know, I've had phone calls from, uh, from people I don't know just to make sure that we're doing okay. Uh, and, you know, I think it's really important to, uh, it's something I've done as well, is making sure you're reaching out to as many people as you can, your competitors, uh, and, you know, making sure you've got one another's backs. And, you know, I, th I think also through the use of social and stuff Pete's been doing as far as mental health and all those important things, uh, I think our, our actually, our, I've never been prouder of our industry. Same. Yeah. Sorry, can I just share something with you? When, when, when COVID hit, Looking at my own little business, uh, I, I'd had a really busy um, kind of December and January, and I had lots of starters in Feb. I think I had nine starters in Feb, right? Um, and when COVID hit in March, I assumed that every single one of those recruiters who was sitting in probation, I assumed they'd all be sacked because they're in probation, and I'd have to hand back an amount of money that would basically bring me to my knees. Um, out of nine, oh, by the way, one of those was at six degrees. Um, out of nine, only one of them was let go. So that's the opposite of a knee-jerk reaction. That's mm. that's recruitment businesses keeping people in a job who, who, who they, they don't have that much loyalty to. They've only just hired them. They're not tested. They're not proven. They haven't achieved anything yet, but they kept them in the job. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and if that was happening across the industry, then I, I share those sentiments, Paul. I've never been proud of the recruitment industry. Yeah, well, that's and that's why we're doing this today and, and each week, you know, it's trying to, trying to make sure that both all over the world, we're, we're supporting each other. I think together we're stronger. I'm interrupting this podcast to give you another update from our sponsor, Audro. The team at Audro have launched another feature in summer 2020, and it's going to be a game changer. This is going to massively change the way the recruitment agency market operates globally for the future. They've called it Audro Producer. This platform sits alongside the company's award-winning video interview opportunity, um, and gives you, the recruiter, the ability to create engaging, eye-catching video content ready to share in a matter of minutes. So you can record or upload a video, um, and then you can add banners, overlays, images, subtitles, logos, so that you can create these eye-catching videos that are built for LinkedIn. So whether you're interviewing, whether you're doing sales messaging, or you're just trying to put out valuable content on, online, then Odro is no longer just a video interview platform, it's also content creation platform for recruiters. Get in touch with Audro today to see how you can implement this into your recruitment agency ASAP. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. So let's let's get a little bit more into it then. So we've you've mentioned already today, Paul, that you saw this happen twice. So you had you had a, almost like a the first installment of lockdown. And then you had this you had a little period of coming out of it. Um, and then it was literally the week we met was when you went back in. I remember the first call with you guys was like rock bottom. You'd literally just been announced you were going back into full lockdown. And how did that, so to set the context, where, where we are right now, we're at the end of, or mid to late November, 2020, the UK, we're what, two weeks into our second lockdown. Cases are going up as far as I can see. Um, there's, there's zero confidence we're coming out of this lockdown on the 2nd of December, which was the initial, initial um, deadline. There's talk of saving Christmas with a five-day window of seeing your family and friends that, you know, whatever happens, I think they'll open the doors for a few days. That's just going to have to happen. Um, but It wouldn't happen here, Sean. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. Like, to me, the biggest thing I can see that's, that I'd love to for you guys to give us some insights in is what happens in January 2021? The weather's shy, it's dark, and there is no sign of us opening back up. Like, 
let's go back into the world you felt when you when you caught, when we had that first chat in yeah. July time, June, July time. It was June, um, July, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and we were initially, it must have been July, because we were initially given uh, six to eight weeks of shutdown. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm okay. I think my lowest point during that time was, uh, I, I clearly remember it, Father's Day, because Father's Day was the day that we were all, all coming back. And uh, I think Father's Day is what, early September, Pete? Uh, mm-hmm. in Australia, and uh, I remember looking at on, uh, our Premier Daniel Andrews talking about Father's Day, saying it's going to be another six weeks, and I, I was thinking it was all ending today and uh, thinking we've got to be in, in this for another six weeks, and I'm not thinking about business. You know, our business was surprisingly okay, although, you know, I thought, you know, how much more can we uh, can you know, battle here with, with uh, another six weeks, but but personally, I was struggling 24-7 at home with my kids, homeschooling, um, and, you know, that I found really, really tough uh, on a personal basis because um, I am a social animal uh, and um, being stuck at home uh, was, was really, really tough. What is like, like, can you paint a picture for us? What is home life like for you on a, on a normal a normality? Uh, normality for me is I travel a lot. Um, so, um, you know, I uh, would be away to, to you know to, i'd be on two interstate trips per per uh, month uh, and i enjoy travel uh, oh, oh, and, but, you know, when, when are you going to coachella i was actually going <laughs> i was going to south by southwest actually pete oh, okay. All right, fair enough. I was, real real fmdg conference i've heard about that. <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, i was two days before covid hit uh two days before uh, I was due to fly out. I was heading to uh, Austin, Texas to go to South by Southwest for 10 days. And then wow. I was heading uh, to Cabo in Mexico and home via LA on my own for five weeks. Uh, wow. I think that took me more time to get over uh, than anything else. Uh, How old are you? So, yeah. I have a, a four-year-old, a 10-year-old and 11-year-old. Right. So they're at a real critical age, aren't they, in terms of Absolutely, uh, yeah. needing, needing support, guidance, school, everything. They're, they're really, you know, real, real formative years. Um, and, and normally you're away. I imagine then when you're home, you, you have great quality time together. You do, do fun things. Um, also, you, we're talking about your winter. And, and for people in the UK that might not realise, well, Melbourne in the winter is actually quite grim. Like you get, Yeah, it's not, not, a, not a pleasant place. No, I mean, I, I had the coldest winter of my life in Melbourne. I, I, and the reason was we had no, no, but we had no heating at all in the flat, right? So at least in the UK, we've got a bloody radiator. So I had a flat. There are things called electric heaters, Sean. <laughs> well, we didn't, we didn't know about them, right? So 17 We'll set the scene. We were on Queen's Road, I think it was, opposite Albert Park Lake on the corner of Union Street, where Union Street tram stop is. Yeah. And um, my flat, was in, it's called Elizabeth Court, and it looked over the lake. And it, on pictures, it was brilliant. We signed up to it without even going in. Walked in. It was all right, but there was no heaters at all. And then my bedroom was the warmest room because it looked in. It was an internal room. So my window <laughs> looked into my brother's room. <laughs> so I only knew it was morning when he turned his bloody light on. So there was like, there was nights where I'd get up at like 3 a.m. and start getting ready for work. And all he'd done is gone to the toilet and come back and turn his light off. I was like, oh, shit, it's not morning yet. Um, but my, my business partner I used to live with, he used to sleep with a beanie hat on because it was that cold. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, winter in Australia, in Melbourne is, is not. So you're in that, you know, you're in that period. It's cold. You're going into second lockdown. Um, how did the family react? How did your kids react? Uh do you know what? Uh, the the four-year-old has kept us entertained. Uh, he has no idea what's going on. Um, he can just say coronavirus, and he says it reg- regularly, especially when we all put on masks. Um, you know, they, the, uh, the two girls, Annabelle and Zara, they, they I think they struggled once. They, a, a similar sort of thing when we said to them, actually, we're in. You're being homeschooled for another six to eight weeks. Um, I think they they struggled, but. 10, 10 and 11 year olds, your kids are a similar age, Pete. They're pretty resilient, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. We 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 had a bit of a shame in, in our household. My 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 two boys, they both play uh futsal, indoor indoor football, and they both bless them, they'd worked really hard and they've both just been selected to represent Australia at futsal. Right. Really? Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. They they're doing really well and they've both been invited on tours. So one of them, my eldest had a tour to Barcelona. Wow, uh, and the youngest—they were supposed to be going, supposed to be leaving next week, 
and uh, and the youngest had a tour to New Zealand, and and both and obviously those trips were cancelled. And uh, so so to tell tell your kids and try and explain to them that those those trips are not going to happen because of this invisible disease, um, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and then you and then you plunged you plunged into homeschooling. It's it's tough for them. It really is. It really is. How did you manage homeschooling, Paul? I know you you you, you said you you had support from your wife, but there was there was times where you were managing it. I remember remember there was a day where we had the mm, we had uh, a I, I, maybe you <laughs> elaborate. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say I managed it. I, I have to say my kids' uh, school is very very good. Yeah. Um. So you know my my eldest daughter is uh, much more intelligent than I, and there was one time where I said to Annabelle, Annabelle, do you need any help with uh, with school? And she looked at me and said. From you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So uh, no, I, I would have to say, uh, you know, my my wife did a fair bit, and uh, I didn't do a lot. But that was because the school was so good. Had yeah. the school not been so good, uh, I would have had to do a lot more. A final interruption to today's episode to introduce Vincere. Vincere is the all-in-one CRM ATS platform built for the recruitment and staffing industry. Now, I first heard about these guys about a year ago. The amount of prospect recruitment agencies and clients I was working with that were telling me they were moving over to Vincere, I had to look into it. And what I found was a business that had a global reach um, with multiple offices around the world. So they've got this follow the sun methodology, which allows them to support recruitment businesses wherever you are and, have, and, and be in your time zone. But the technology that they've invested in um, is becoming a, a disruptor in the space. More and more recruitment businesses are doing this to give their their recruiters a competitive advantage. They broke into the G2 Crowd's momentum grid as a market leader based on their reviews from their customers. So the, the agencies that are using this platform are raving about it. Now, if you're a rag listener and you're thinking about changing CRM or you're a new business looking to launch with a new CRM, then I would get in touch with, the, with these guys because if you mention that you're a rag listener, they're doing an amazing deal. By visiting www.vincere.io forward slash rag, you can get an exclusive deal which offers two months completely free on a two-year commitment or three months completely free on a three-year commitment. This applies to all licenses that you've either signed up for now or that you'll add in the duration of the contract. So get on there and have a look. Finally, if you're listening to your recruiter and you're thinking, I want to move into a more of a business development role um, and I'd like to keep hold of my recruitment knowledge. Well, these guys are recruiting for a BD person, well, multiple roles in both Sydney and London right now. So if you've got a strong recruitment background, you want to move into BD and you want to work for a fast moving tech business that's helping people like you right now, then get in touch via their website because they're hiring today. Back to the show. What, what was your kind of worst fears or thoughts that were going through your mind without the knowledge of when you were going to come out? What sort of, I guess, what, yeah, what was going uh, on in your head? My, my worst fear, uh, you know, I always knew I'd be okay. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of fears for a lot of people. And, and they you know, specifically we, we, when, when this hit first time and second time, we did a, a people audit uh, of people that we thought um, may really struggle through this time. And, and you know, what we identified is people, for instance, living alone. Because um, if you're living alone through COVID, um, and that was whether people that work for Six Degrees or, or friends of mine, um, you know, there was a big focus on making sure that you're reaching out to those people. Um, you know, you were allowed to exercise for one hour a day, so you go and walk with these people. Um, you know, there were people, um, again, in my personal network and, and work who was financially um, hurting because of this, because uh, one of the things I didn't mention is that six degrees went to four days a week or 0.8 salary wise. So um, that was another cost saving measure that we did. Uh, and so who was who was uh, that we had to look out for financially uh, and just people, you know, you know there weren't many people that weren't uh, adversely affected by this, especially in Victoria. Um, so, you know, from a, from a humanitarian point of view, um, my, my big concern was for, for other people, um, you know, and people within my, my four walls of my home, um, and making sure that everyone was okay. Uh, and, you know, Pete and I walked, we don't live far from one another, um, and, you know, I made a, a conscious effort to, to walk with as many people because that is how we got connection through COVID. Uh, it's how, you know, that's, you know, the social aspect is really important. That's the only way we could socialise because I'm not really good at doing uh, Zoom parties or anything like that. That just doesn't work for me. 
Um, and so, you know, it's it, you know, the, the focus for me or, or my big concern was for other people uh, and just making sure we all got through this. So how did you do that, Paul? How did, how did Six Degrees um, keep the morale up of your people? It, it's one thing reaching out and saying, are you okay? But how did you try and bring some joy and some some levity into into their lives if at all absolutely it's a really good question pete and and you know the first thing is is that uh you know we we gave utmost flexibility uh and you know everyone's situation was different and you know from a homeschooling perspective if you had you know two three four kids at home and you had to homeschool them um there was utmost flexibility and understanding um, you know that that the health, mental health of our people were was really really important. Um, so I, I remember one thing, Sean, that I shared with you is we, we had many mental health days where we just said to people, yeah. take the day off. Um, you know, uh, you know, looking at screens all day and being boxed in your house is is not easy. Um, so we implemented mental health days. Um, some of the other stuff, you know, Susie, uh, we, we have a, an employee assistant program at Six Degrees where you can actually um, utilise psychological services for free. Uh, we then open that up to not just uh, every employee at Six Degrees, but all their family members. Uh, so, you know, if, if your mental health is not great, that's one thing. But if you're living people with people that have mental health issues, um, that's also really hard. So we opened up our employee assistant program uh, to all employees. Um, and then we did things like meditation classes. Um, uh, Kristen D'Souza, who runs our Queensland business, her husband is a personal trainer. So every Wednesday morning we did virtual personal training. Uh, which created, again, my kids got involved in that and uh, created really good energy and connection there. Um, you know, we had awards nights. We had, uh, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one coffees. We had coffee roulettes. We had uh, Katie, uh, uh, who's uh, uh, did guided meditation every week. Um, there's a thing here called the Resilience Project, and that's a, a weekly um, uh, session about resilience and, and things that you can do to build your resilience. So we, we tried lots of things. Not all of them landed, um, but most importantly, what we tried was to, to build and maintain connection uh, because that was the part that was missing the most. Well, without without doubt. And um, what about you, Pete? Like your you're, you work alone, right? So obviously, I think I think I, I mean I really enjoyed working closely with you throughout the period, and I think um, um, I could only see your interaction with us at Hoxo. What what was it like for you being a without the team? In some ways, you didn't have to worry about other people. Yeah, yeah. In in some ways, I'd had 16, 17 years of training for COVID. <laughs> <laughs> isolation beforehand. So, isolation and working on my own um, wasn't a problem, really. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean it didn't affect you. you, know, you know, there was there was still the inability. You know, I, I used to try and get into the into the CBD and meet people and have you know, as you know, Melbourne is all about coffees mm. um, and getting out and meeting as many people as you possibly can on a regular basis. Couldn't do that. Couldn't do that. Um, so, and, and I don't have colleagues, you know, there was, there was no, there was no colleagues ringing me up to see if I was okay. And I didn't necessarily have obvious people for me to ring to see if they were okay. So it, it, it probably did. And, and it was quite lonely for a while, but then this, this weird magical thing started happening. People started ringing me anyway. Um, and I started ringing people anyway. And as you say, Paul, people I hadn't spoken to for ages, um, would just be putting in calls just to check in and see how they were. Um, and, and for somebody to remember a one-man band who, you know, doesn't have any kind of professional necessarily connection with, to, to pick them up, pick the phone up and see how they're doing, it's wonderful, it's lovely. Love that. Paul, being an executive search firm, I mean, again, I've never worked for an exec search firm, but in my mind, I see a more mature business. I see a more mature landscape of, of, of employees. What what is the demographic like that work for six degrees in terms of age and background and and how how do you think that affects the the, the kind of the way you you you, you communicate but also the way they can handle the situation? Yeah, it's a good good question. Well, as far as executive search firm, you know, I see the executive search um, market as Egon Zender, Corn Ferry, Russell Reynolds, yeah. Hydrix. 
um, and we sit below that. Um, so I, I would say we're executive recruitment in the sense that the majority of our work is retained and we don't get into, um, you know, highly contingent roles. So, um, you know, we are, we are um, you know, the demographic of our business, we've got more females than males, probably 60, 40. Um, we, uh, average age would be around 33, 34, I'm guessing. So still, still young. Um, and, uh, you know, the, and being 33, 34, um, you know, I would say half have children, half don't. So, you know, they don't, my, you know, I was talking to someone this morning about my Michael Page days and how uh, sort of you know, I just can't believe that, that what went on in those days. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm glad it doesn't anymore, to be quite honest. Uh, but, you know, it, it is a, a more mature environment, but we still have a, a lot of fun. Yes, if you're thinking about that, I mean, I'm 34 now, so looking around the group of friends I've got and all the people at my age, you'd say the one common denominator you'd expect is they've probably got a decent setup at home. That'd probably be the thing you'd expect in your early 30s. Whereas like, I've got a couple of staff members that are in their early 20s and the challenge was, you know, they were sharing kitchen tables and one of them was pitching up on an ironing board because they couldn't face being in the living room with the other person. So they just put the ironing board in the bedroom and that, that really hit me. I was like, you know, that's like thinking about the early 20s lifestyle, mid 20s lifestyle of, of working in a city and getting out. And that, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Like yeah. you, you're so motivated by the buzz of the city. Like when I was in Melbourne, I was 20, I was working with Sarah Adamson at the time. Sarah Hay works yeah. for you. Um, she was a high flyer. Um, and we Still had this. Yeah, I know, I can tell. She's uh, She was one that I was like, wow, you're going to, you're going to be pretty special. She only just started just before me. Um, and I think I, I was pretty impressive in my team and then I left, but we um, we had such a cool group of young people that just loved the Rialto and being out and about. And like the thought of going into lockdown then at that age would be would be totally different. And there's, there's so many people listening to this who've probably got, you know, quite, quite junior level teams, quite young teams. Um, so I, I do, I feel for them. I feel for them. And, and, and if this lockdown goes into next year, you know, what do they what do they even do in that with those people how do they help those people yeah it's it's a really good question in the sense of um, you know one of the things that we and as I said we were, were lucky because um, we we are big in FMCG but um, you know there are lots of uh, cliches and words and we've avoided the P word so far and I hope it's not used. Um, but one of the, the, the cliches that was used a big, big at six degrees was we've got to fish where the fish are biting. Uh, and so we were very, very focused and, you know, uh, on who are the, what are the industries um, that are, are really hot right now and what are the roles within those industries. So, you know, 3PLs and transport companies and anyone delivering packages to homes are going to be employing. So we had a big focus on those. You know, FMCG, as we said, what roles within FMCG are really big. So the supply chain engineering uh, and manufacturing roles. And, you know, so situations of having discussions with organisations of what happens if you're, and it, you're in, in meat manufacturing, for instance, in Victoria, there was a lot of outbreaks in meat manufacturing organisations and talking to clients about what happens if your team falls over and gets infected? Are you ready to redeploy new teams? And, and having discussions with organisations of playing what-if scenarios and making sure that there are opportunities for us. And that did us really, really well. I like that. You mentioned the P word, but we've got to bring it up because you, you mentioned your... Well, you mentioned your you mentioned your own P pivot in, in the early days. You mentioned about the, the, the switch to outplacement. Tell us a bit. So more I didn't about say that. the P word. No, but we know what it was. We know what it was. <laughs> tell us, tell us how did that how did that all come about? Uh, so you know, it was a situation as I as I said, I was um, uh, you know not removing myself from the business, but definitely taking a backward step uh, and. It was a situation where guys, uh, you know, that we and we did. It was a, 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 a oh god moment of, well, where is where is all this going? And and I think uh, I'm pretty safe in saying that a lot a lot of people were a lot more worried uh, in March than fast forward. If it, I think all of us would agree that we are in a much better position than we thought yeah. we were going to be in in March. Yeah. Um, and so we thought the world was caving in. I 
put my hand up and said, okay, guys, let's look at career services and outplacement. We'd done bits and pieces of it over the years for specific projects. Uh, and um, we just, again, deployed people within our business because that was one of the really important parts early on was looking at the OD or organisational design of our, our business and seeing where are the opportunities here. So we moved people in certain areas that we knew were not going to be um, big in, the, in six months and put them into our new technology business that we'd set up. Uh, and you know, those people are really thriving. So it's you know what I would say to the people out there and the business owners and leaders is making sure very early you identify where the opportunities are and where they aren't and put the right people in place. Yeah, makes sense. Oh, Paul, yeah. earlier on in this conversation, now you all speak the truth, which can sometimes be difficult to hear, but earlier on in this conversation, you you intimated that you didn't believe we were through the worst of it or that you thought there was, you know, there was more to come. Um, what do you mean by that? Or it's not over. What do you mean by that? And, and then secondly, if heaven forbid, we do go into a third lockdown, what would be the first thing that you would do in your business? And what would you do differently to the second lockdown? Yeah. Like 18 um, questions. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, Pete just, I think, uh, Sean said, I don't think, think it's over is what I said. I do yeah. think we're through the worst of it in Australia because we are lucky. We can close our borders and, uh, uh yeah, we, there's a state in, in Australia, South Australia, that's got 20 cases and overnight, basically the borders are being shut and we can contain it very quickly. Unlike the UK where open border or open-ish borders, um, that you can that you're not closing down and hence you can, it's very hard to contain. Um, I think we're through the worst of it. Um, yeah. God, I don't want to see another year like 2020 as far as for six months, you're basically uh, pretty much closed down and, and closed for business. Um, I think, you know, we've got a vaccine coming. Um, you know, the, all the indicators, even just reading the Australian Financial Review this morning, is that, uh, you know, jobs are, are being created. Our unemployment is at 7%, which uh, through, through a global pandemic, I think is a, a reasonable number. Uh, and just looking at our job flows, um, you know, they're, they're definitely on the rise. So uh, I I'm reasonably um, optimistic about 2021, but I think it's still going to be a tough year. I mean, we're not looking at putting on 15, 20 people, I'm sorry to say, Pete, but, uh, um, you know, I think it's going to be a bumpy road uh, the next 12 months. Um, I worry for places like the UK, Europe and, and America um, who are, have just not been able to contain this but hopefully the vaccine in the second half of next year uh, will make it easier globally. It's got to, yeah. That, I think I think the news of the vaccine was a real lift a week or so ago. And there was that second vaccine announced two days ago that's right. you know in the US, 95%. There's one in Russia, 92% effective. So I think the fact that the UK have spent so much money on 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 securing their numbers of vaccines, like we're, we're, we're going hard in the way that that's going to be the way we deal with it, I think. Um it's crazy. I mentioned it on last week's podcast. I I was in Manchester last week and there was a protest of people saying there is no virus. There's thousands of people in the city. One guy had a massive go at me, told me to take my mask off because of my mug. I was like, regardless of whether you Don't believe tell that. Tell that to the, what, 50,000 yeah. people in the UK that have died? Exactly. I know one of my uncles died in the first wave and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm each to their own opinion, but you, no, do you know what I mean? Like, leave me alone. Anyway, but there's lots of that going on. There's lots of that going on. There's lots of like, you know, backlash and different people's opinions, anti-vaxxers. There's all sorts going on. I try and I, I've got a very similar attitude to you, I think, Paul. And um, I loved Stephen Carter's comment last week. Let's stop being armchair epidemiologists and just whatever we whatever we've thought of, someone smart is already working on it. <laughs> I thought that was a great way to look at it. Um, one thing I am interested to know is how is your business different? And how will you, what, what are you going to hold on to in the future? Let's say we go back to a completely normal world. You can travel freely. You can do everything you would have done before. What, what will you, as, at six degrees, hold on to from this new way of working? What, what parts yeah. do you like? What have you enjoyed? And what do you think is, is yeah, what, what's important to keep hold of? Yeah. Um, so we have focused very much on 
um, what we call contracting savvy markets, um, the IT and accounting and finance. So our focus moving forward is going to be investing and focusing on those very, very heavily. Um, we weren't in those markets 12 months ago. Um, and uh, you know, whether that's through acquisition or, or huge investment, um, that is going to be a, a big focus of ours. Um, no question, and I, not just six degrees, I think the world and, uh, is a, a much more flexible work environment. Um, you know, and there, there's different schools of thought on this, Sean. Um, I, I am a strong believer in a flexible work environment, but it's not anywhere, anytime. Uh, and, you know, I, I, you build a culture when you're together. Um, very hard to build a culture on screens. Um, you know, in, inducting people, um, it's much better inducting people face-to-face. -face. Uh, and I think that sharing and collaboration of, of information, uh, you know, performance management, learning and development um, is best done face-to-face. -face. Um, so we will have a much better balance as, and a much greater flexibility. Uh, and that's not anywhere, anytime, but, uh, you know, historically we were pretty much office-bound. What do you think that would look like then? Like, I mean, if, I don't know if you've set that in stone, but... No, we, have, we haven't defined anything and it's really up to the individual. Um, and, uh, I, and I think if you're a flexible environment, um, you're being a little bit uh, hypocritical if you start dictating flexibility. Um, so uh, it's, it's, you know, we, we, uh, we haven't made decisions on this uh, and we're yet to see, but I think six degrees will be in, a lot more flexible um, and I think the world will be a lot more flexible. Yeah, agreed. What about you, Pete? Anything you'd, you'd want to change about the way you, you run your business, run your life in the future? Blimey, where do we start, Sean? Where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> Where do we start? I was just I was just going to add to, to Paul's point, uh, just take the spotlight off me entirely. I, I, think, like, uh, I, like, I like watching Pete's face and seeing if he's listening. <laughs> yeah, I need questions. I'm like, I don't think he's listening. So he's like, whoa, <laughs> where's that come from? Do you want to go through my goals list right now? We'll be here for hours. Um, what what I'm what I'm hearing a lot more uh, is that a lot of businesses have realised that they can now trust their people a lot more because the, the, the recruiters have demonstrated it. They've demonstrated that they can be in a totally different room, uh, in a totally different building, and they can still they can still work hard and put in. I've, I've heard business leaders who were really rigid, maybe maybe stuck in the dark ages, who have basically said, look, we, we're really happy with our people working flexibly in the future um, because we know that they can do it. We know that we can trust them. And that's that's that for me. That's a huge silver lining of of COVID. Do you think people will go as heavily down the headcount route to grow their organisations? Do you think it'll be as a like you know the traditional recruitment model of X heads, X productivity per head, X growth? Do you think that'll still be the way people see growth? I don't. I don't, Sean. Um, yeah, it was, it was one other thing I was going to add is um, just in in both uh, six degrees. Um, uh, we got fat and lazy when it came to expenses and, and sorry, it's costs. Uh, yeah. And so we really cut costs and cut costs big time um, when COVID hit. And you look back and and how fat and lazy we got from a cost perspective. And and you know, uh, I've, I've journaled a lot through this time. And you know, from a business perspective, reminded myself of so many costs that we uh, were nice to haves or luxuries that when you were doing really well. Um, but, you know, our focus now should be on cost control um, and maximising revenue per head. Our, our focus has always been revenue per head, um, but not profitability per head. Uh, and mm -hmm. so um, our focus is going to be much more around revenue per head and profitability per head and a much, much tighter control on, on costs now. Fast forward eight years and the next eight years become boom times. I'm sure we'll get fat and lazy again. But uh, it's something I think really important to keep reminding yourselves of when you're spending money, do you really need that? And uh, my chairman gave us a, um, gave me a book called Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? Which yeah. is about a, a, a rowing team in Australia. Uh, and every decision you make is are you actually going to be you know, are you going to be growing your people and culture and productivity and and all those type of things when you're spending money? And if you're not, don't do it.
Yeah, the, a guy called Darren Minshall, who um, did a bit of consulting with us a couple of years ago, he he mentioned that book, um, and it was a really clear, like, you know, every decision you make, you ask that one question, don't you? Like, will it make the boat go faster? If it's a no, don't do it. Like, <laughs> literally, relentless such attitude to growth. That, that, that actually, you know, you've just shortcutted my next question was going to be, I, you know, I I really enjoyed the interaction with you, Paul. I feel like you've you've got a lot really interesting things to talk about, and that usually comes from the the... the the things you expose yourself to so what what is your library like of of um information where do you get inspiration what are you reading what are you listening to you know what's your what where, where do you get it from yeah it's a um interesting um question because it has changed over time and you know i am um i've got a really curious mind so i ask a lot of questions and um, are well known for asking questions that uh, people are too scared to ask either because they might really appear stupid and, and they'll look stupid. I'm not scared about that. Mm. Um, and also uh, some people are scared to ask those questions because they might be a little bit direct or controversial. So, um, you know, I, am, I am, uh, have always had a curious mind and that has served me really well. Um, I have a, you know, I, I order a lot of books. I don't read them all. Um, <laughs> I was just, uh, you know, I, uh, Susie and I sat on a, a Simon Sinek uh, um, uh, webinar uh, this week where he was uh, talking to people in Australia. We went to go and see him live. Um, we, we couldn't do that. So it was two, three hour webinars. Uh, and I, re I love, you know, Simon Sinek. I love Brene Brown. Um, I love Tim Ferriss, who are the more modern um, yeah. uh, management and leadership people. Uh, and I, I don't listen to podcasts. I try and listen to podcasts. Um, you know, my attention span is not that great. So the first thing I do when I see a podcast is, you know, is it 30 or 40 minutes? Because that's about all I can do. However, we've done my, 53 now, just, you know, my radio program that I've listened to for the last 10 or 11 years in Australia is no longer next year. So uh, what I have said to myself and diarised is that I will be writing, uh, I'll be uh, uh, looking, looking at podcasts as my morning ritual rather than listening to my normal radio program. Uh, but, you know, in this day and age, there is no need, no excuse for um, not doing personal development, whether that is through books, whether that is through podcasts, whether that is through YouTube. Um, you know, uh, Prime TV has incredible amounts of leadership, um, TED Talks. You know, there, there is no shortage of information, uh, and I use them all. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Pete? Uh, and, and try and make 30, to 30 minutes to an hour a day. Um, whatever it may be, whatever platform to, to learn. Consume. Love it. And can I just say that Paul, Paul once Paul, once Paul has that information in his head, he's, he's very, to share, very happy to share it. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. So quite a few years ago, because I am a one-man band, as we've already identified, um, I decided I, I needed a mentor. And uh, I wrote down three or four names of people I would like to approach. The top of that list was, was, was Paul Hallam. I didn't for one second think he would say yes, uh, but I thought I'll, I'll 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 pitch it anyway. So I rang him and no, actually I think I was too too cowardly to call you. I think I emailed you, yeah. and, uh, and I said, Paul, have you ever thought about uh, mentoring? To which he replied, Not only have I thought about it, Pete, but I'm very passionate about it. I've done it for quite a few years, and I mentor and I, I already mentor quite a few people. Why do you ask? Right, okay. So, well, I, I would love a mentor. And do you think you'd be open to it? Um, we, we had a good chat about it. After which Paul sent me a 16-page document um, in which he wanted me to detail where I was now, what I wanted to get out of it, what my goals were, uh, the objectives and, and all the rest of it. It was, uh, it was phenomenal. And it, and it really made me sit up and, 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 and take it seriously. And it's, uh, it's, it's been great. And you're, you're very generous with your time, all and all that information that is in your head. And I thank you for that. Thank you, Pete. I, 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 was, out, um, I, was, I was out yesterday. I was talking on the phone to a mate of mine, and we, we were talking about this topic, right? So I, I was a school teacher back in uh, 10 years ago. I finished teaching. I went to Australia. So um, and I, I look back, and, and there was something in me that loved, loved the element of sharing knowledge to people that were, slight, that were younger on, on the journey, right? Um, and even now, like I, there's a few people I've mentored, Hisham Mazouz being one of them, before he even worked for me, I was a mentor for a year, and then he ended up working for me, and look, he's done, he's done pretty well, and um, 
And I've had, I've got a, currently, I've got a business coach, a life coach, and I've just started working with a psychologist last night, right? And I absolutely fundamentally believe that looking up to people that have been through journeys that I want to, and, and, have, and have achieved things I want to achieve is, is the best way of, of shortcutting problems. Um, but I, I feel like this should be something that's more ingrained in society. Like, you know, like you sh everyone should have a mentor that's 10 years older and everyone should have someone who's 10 years younger that they, that they mentor. I think it should just be a, and, and, sorry, I would say it, it's okay to have a mentor that's a lot younger than you um, yeah. as well. Um, you know, I'm, I, it's taken me a while, but the, the whole diversity piece is, is really important. And uh, there are a lot of, you know, 30 year olds who can teach me a lot. Um, so, you know, and, and one thing I'll say to what you said, Peter, as far as the mentoring, when people ask you, it's one of the greatest compliments someone can give you um, mm. is that they want to be mentored by you. Um, but the, and I think the one other thing I said to you, Pete, is at the time, the only conditions I have is you do what you say you're going to do. Uh, and, you know, if we agree to things, um, and you know, one of the things was, you know, have, have your plan to me a couple of days before. And if we agree to do things post our, our catch up, then you follow through. Uh, because you know, otherwise it's not respecting your mentor, mentor um, and, and vice versa as far as the, the mentee as well is just doing, doing what you say you're going to do. And it, and it was the first time I'd ever written goals, ever. Yeah. And my, I, goals I, of, my goals of what served, and I've got my goals from 25 years ago, of what served me very, very well through life is, is uh, um, the goals, my goals that I, I set for myself every year and, and reassess every three months. Well, I remember you telling me that there was only one year in 25 years that you hadn't done your goals. And, and when you look back and reflect, it was one of the worst years for you personally, professionally, in terms of moving forward and development. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I've learned, I mean, I'm, I don't want to press too far on, on me personally, but the the goals of business were pretty much all I had a couple of years ago. Like they were, if I looked at my goals, it was all work, work, work. And actually I neglected the, I had no goals outside of work. So what I've done this year is try and build a, almost like a, a wheel of life where you've got your, you've got your business, you've got your relationships, you've got your health, you've got your wealth, you've got all these different areas. And then it's what goals do you want to achieve in each one of those? And within reason, you, you might not achieve everything, but it, it's really taught me that, you know, especially going into a pandemic, you know, you need more than just a business. You need, Absolutely. you need, you need all areas of your life to be okay for you to be okay. Um, Paul, I wish we could carry on talking for, for the, for another hour. Or so I think there's, you know, there's so much we could, we could touch on, but I just want to say thanks. I want to say thanks for giving me your time throughout the last few months. Thanks for giving us your time again today. Um, and for sharing intimately what, you know, what goes on in your, in your mind and your business and your family. Um, I would imagine people listening to this might want to reach out um, and say hello. Um, you're open to that? Absolutely, yeah. So, come, you know, um, obviously, linked through through LinkedIn through this, uh, and you know, have have really enjoyed our, our conversation, Pete and Sean, today. And I, if there's one thing I'll, I'll leave with any business owner or leader within this business, uh, as far as going through lockdown, um, you know, that we talk. There's a, a phrase that's often talked about as as far as wearing your putting on your mask first which is a, a talking about being in, on an airline and, yeah. or an aeroplane uh, when uh, those lights come on and the masks come down uh, and you're always encouraged to put on your mask before you help anyone else. And I think that's a really, really important thing that people need to look after themselves before they can look after anyone else. And that's you know, making sure that you're exercising and eating well and, and uh, doing the right things for your mental health uh, in these times. Um, and looking after yourself before you can look after anyone else. Yeah. Uh, and there's lots of other things I can, can talk about as far as, as, as leaders we can do, but that's the, that's the most important. Before you can help anyone, you've got to help yourself. Um, but the, the others are, are really important as far as, you know, putting people first and constant communication. Uh, and, you know, those three things I think will, will, set, you, you know, uh, will set you up really well. Because remember, the, the lockdown, as, as we look at it, Pete, was a, a moment in time. Yeah. Uh, when we were going through it, it was a, a long, tough time, but now we're out of it and it's the only way is up, really. So, uh, so you know, it, yeah. it does pass. These tough times do pass. And uh, we know from, from uh, experience that when they do, um, you know, we, we hopefully cash in and, and do really well from it. Yeah. Well, and, and you know what? Look, 
we we we're very we're very pleased over here to see what's going on for you guys. You know, we 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 we've got our own journey, but we're you know we we get inspiration from the way that you guys have come out of it after such a tough time. So, thank you so much, Pete. Always a pleasure. Paul, appreciate it. Um, guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did enjoy it, um, I don't ask you to pay me to listen to this show, but I ask you to do one thing every week, just share it with someone who, who you think would need it. So Paul's story um, will benefit other people as well as yourself. If you can just send this via email, text, WhatsApp, whatever, to one, at least one person you think would benefit from listening to Paul, um, that would be great. Because I've, I've said it every week. Together, I honestly believe we are stronger to get through this. Um, I'll be back again on Tuesday with um, a very, very exciting guest, Chris Eldridge, who's the CEO of Interquest Group, another large entity UK-based. Um, and then next Thursday, Pete. We've got is Angela Hawkins. Yeah, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I'm 99.9% certain it's Angela Hawkins from Angela Hawkins. I was at lunch with her on Friday, and she's uh, psyched to be psyched to be involved. I can't wait for that one next Thursday, 8 a.m. UK time, 7 p.m. Australian Eastern time. So, thank you so much for listening. Um, I'll be back again on Tuesday, but in the uh, in the meantime, you stay safe, and we'll see you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Hoxo Media. We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, we've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online. And we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now. We're managing the marketing for. So that involves strategy, content creation, distribution, systems process, and leads generated. Having been recruiters and marketeers, we can not only build your brand, but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. That's small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support you build your marketing as a, as a supplier that acts as part of your team or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much and we will see you again soon.